Hoppin' Faith family. I want to say hello to those gathered in Lakeville. Invite all of you, if you would, to turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. We've been in a series all summer looking at the Ten Commandments. Uh, each week we've been uh, taking one specific commandment and looking uh, specifically at that and asking how does Jesus transform it? Uh, how are we to view that in light of uh, the gospel? So this morning we come to the Ninth Commandment. Uh, almost uh, finished. Lord willing, we'll wrap things up next week. Have a couple weeks in between and then uh, really excited about a new series uh, that we'll be starting uh, in the fall. I'm not going to tell you what it is yet, but it'll be good. Uh, so this morning, the ninth commandment, Exodus 20, verse uh, 16. I'm going to invite you in all of our locations, if you're able to, to please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. Exodus 20 and verse 16 is our passage this morning. It says, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Would you pray with me and for me now? as we ask God to come teach us. Father, what a joy it is to be uh, in this place this morning. Uh, what a privilege to be in your word. And, and we ask that you would come and, and really speak to us. Uh, uh, open our eyes to see. May our hearts receive what you have for us uh, this morning. Um, Holy Spirit, you're the spirit of truth. So come guide us now into truth. All to the glory of Christ, we pray. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, it was the moment that George had waited for uh, his entire career. Uh, all those years of hard work, all those years of sacrifice had finally paid off. George finally had his dream job. George O'Leary was now the head coach at the University of Notre Dame. If you know anything about college sports, you know it's one of the most prestigious football programs in America, and, and George had always longed to be the head coach, and he finally was for an entire five days. You see, after O'Leary became the head coach at Notre Dame, a few reporters decided to look into his professional past. Um, they wanted to kind of get an idea of what kind of football man he was. So they contacted some of the former coaches and, and players. He had listed on his resume that he'd played football at the University of New Hampshire. He'd even earned three varsity letters. But when they reached out to the University of New Hampshire, they had never heard of a George O'Leary. He even had listed on his resume that he'd earned a master's degree from the University of New York, but there was no record of that either. Something wasn't right. And over a series of phone interviews and, and, and phone calls, they discovered that several years ago, uh, when O'Leary was uh, candidating for the head coaching position at Syracuse, his resume wasn't very impressive for the job, so he just, you know, added a few things, a few little details, and he got the job at Syracuse and would later go on to coach at Georgia Tech. But he never went back and fixed his resume. And 21 years later, O'Leary's dream job turned into a nightmare when he was fired after just five days because his resume was a false testimony of his actual 
experience. You know, sadly, faith family, we live in a world uh, that is, has a distorted reality, a world of lies. And we can see examples of this everywhere you look. They are all over the place. For instance, news stations that distort the story just to fit an agenda, or politicians that distort the facts just to get some votes, televangelists who will distort the Bible to increase donations. Lawyers distort the details to get the acquittal. Advertisers distort reality to sell the product. (laughs) Teenagers will distort the timeline just to keep from being grounded. It's everywhere we live. I'm not being pessimistic, I'm being realistic. We live in a world of distorted realities. And this isn't just something that other people do. This is something we do. How many of you have ever broken up from a relationship and you said this, it's not you, it's me? Liar, right? It was absolutely them. Or how many of you have ever twisted the details just a little bit of why you were late for work to make it sound legitimate? I'm not making this up. I heard of a story of a, of a man that named, nicknamed his bed the Word so that he could tell his Christian boss honestly when he was late for work, I'm sorry, I was in the Word all morning. Some of you are like, that's good. I'm writing that down. I'm going to use that one tomorrow morning. Or how many of you, your children have ever said, how much longer till we get there? And you've said, oh, about five minutes. And that was nowhere close to accurate. How many of you, your spouse has said, do these jeans make my butt look big? Mm-hmm. You didn't tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help you God. Or, or what about somebody came up to you and said, how are you? And you said, I'm fine. And you're anything but fine. Somebody came up and said, would you pray for me? And you said, sure, I'll pray for you. You never had any intentions of actually praying. It was just the Christian thing to say. And I could go on and on. Think of all the ways, the many ways that we can give false testimonies in life. And think about how different your life would be if you could only tell the truth. Oh, how different life would be. Amen. How different life would be if we could only tell the truth. Well, faith family, that takes us this morning to the ninth commandment here in Exodus 20, verse 16. Look at it again. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now, most of you probably growing up heard it a little differently than that. You heard it like this. Thou shall not what? Talk to me. Lie. That's how most of us have heard it. Thou shalt not lie. There's truth to that, pun intended, but that's really not the, the, the essence of the command. It's really more than that. The, the aim of the command is more about legal testimony than personal honesty. Oh, there's overlap there, no question about it. Don't misunderstand. But it really had to do with legal testimony. This is why the ninth commandment was so incredibly important to the nation of Israel. First of all, is it had to do with the justice of the courts. 
the justice of the courts. In the ancient Near East, people had very little legal protection. Now, in our day, they say that you're innocent until proven guilty, but back in the ancient Near East, if somebody brought an accusation against you, you were guilty until you could prove your innocence. And in most societies, all you needed was one witness to condemn you. Can you imagine the abuse that would have taken place under that? Can you imagine if your neighbor didn't like you? All they'd have to do is make up some accusation, and if you couldn't prove your innocence, you'd be condemned. And since most crimes could end you in prison, if not death, one false witness could prove fatal. It is why Proverbs 25 verse 18 uses language like this, a man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a war club a sword, a sharp arrow. Those are weapons of death, meaning a false witness in the ancient Near East could truly be fatal. So when God enters into a relationship with Israel, He enters into a covenant with them, uh, he, He expands the requirements for their protection. So, for instance, uh, you no longer could just have one witness. You had to have multiple witnesses. Uh, Listen to Deuteronomy 17, verse 6. On the evidence of what? Two witnesses or of three witnesses, the one who is to die shall be put to death. A person shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness. So this was an added layer of justice. Not only that, but to take it a step further, you also, if you were going to bring an accusation against somebody, you had to be willing to cast the first stone. How many of you have heard that expression before? If you look at the next verse in Deuteronomy 17, that is verse 7, it says, the hand of the witnesses shall be the first against him to put him to death. So not only do you have to have multiple witnesses, You have to be willing, if convicted, to cast the first stone. And then thirdly, uh, the consequences would apply to you if it were found out the accusation was false. So if you accuse somebody of something and it was shown that that was a false accusation, the consequences that would have been for them will now be for you. And I talk to me for an I, a tooth for a to a death for death. So now this is a very serious situation before you're going to make a false accusation against anyone. Here's the point. Here's what's behind the ninth commandment. Notice it on the screen. God is commanding no false witnesses because God demands justice. He wants justice to be served in the courts. Now, of course, it doesn't just stay with the courts. It has a ripple effect into the community. That is, this commandment, the ninth commandment, also has to do with the protection of the community at large. Because if there's no justice in the courts, there won't be protection in the community. Or to say it this way, how is Israel going to experience the blessed life, the good life that God has for them in the promised land, if the land is full of false witnesses? That's why, by the way, I think this commandment is maybe more important than some of the other commandments related to other people. You say, are you serious? Like, you think that being a false witness is more important than, say, murder? You think being a false witness is more important than, say, stealing? Yeah, absolutely, and here's why. Because if you don't have a legal system by which you deal with murder, guess what you will have more of? Murder. 
If you don't have a just system by which you deal with stealing, you'll have more stealing. Notice on the screen, murder will kill the individual, but injustice will kill the community. Injustice will kill the community. So God is saying, don't bear false witness against your neighbor, number one, so that the courts will be a place of justice, so then the community is a place of protection. But then it goes even another step further. You also have to remember, Israel, that you're in covenant with me. I'm the God of the covenant that we're in. The Ten Commandments, as I've, I've told you, is the way in which they would reflect God in the world. This is the way that you will show that you are different. You will be a light among the nations. So, so the flow would go something like this. Uh, follow me here. If, if you're a false witness, there's not going to be justice in the courts. If there's no justice in the courts, the society is not going to be based on truth. And if the society is not based on truth, how will you reflect me in the world? How will you reflect me in the world? Or, or ask it this way. Notice on the screen. If the people of God, this is a word for us even today. If the people of God are not a people of truth, how will they reflect the God of truth? Amen? If the people of God are not a people of truth, then how will we reflect God in the world? Do you see, this is, come on, this is so much more than being honest Abe. You know, don't be the kind of person that tells a lie. Of course it's that, but it's deeper than that. It had to do with justice and community and life and the name and reputation of God. This was a very important commandment for Israel. And of course, they violated it repeatedly as they did the other ones. I'll just give you one story. This is in 1 Kings chapter 21. Uh, there's a man by the name of Naboth, and he, he's, he's got this land. He owns this vineyard, and he just happens to be neighbors with the king. He lives next door to King Ahab. He's the king of Israel, the king of Samaria. And Ahab wants this land. He wants this vineyard that Naboth has. And so he comes over one day and he says, uh, uh, I'll give you another vineyard if you'll give me yours or I'll just pay you money, whichever you prefer. And Naboth thinks about it for a while and he's like, you know, this is my family land. This is my family inheritance. You know, I'm sorry, king, but the answer is no. The king's response looks like this. He starts pouting like a baby. I mean, he is sullen. He is so upset. He goes home and he shares it with his wife, the queen Jezebel. And Jezebel says, well, I'll do what obviously you can't do. I'll get the land for you. So she decides to sit down and write some letters. But she writes letters as though she's the king. And here's what she does. Pick it up in 1 Kings 21, verse 9. She wrote in the letters, proclaim a fast and set Naboth at the head of the people and set two worthless men opposite him and let them bring a charge against him saying, you have cursed God and the king, then take him out and stone him to death. In other words, we'll plant some false witnesses. And that's exactly what they did. It's exactly what happened. And this occurred all the time in the nation of Israel. It is why my dear friend, he's probably like one of my best friends, his name is Coeleth. And I will never let you forget him. 
It's why he says this in Ecclesiastes 3, verse 16. He looks at society and he says, Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there is wickedness. Even the very place that where truth is supposed to be upheld, where that which is right is supposed to be honored, where justice is to reign, there is no justice at all. All is vanity, my friend would say. And of course, that's not just true for ancient Israel. It still happens today outside the courtroom. What I mean is we have and do violate the ninth commandment repeatedly. Here's one way we violate the ninth commandment, through false praise or what you might call flattery. Psalm 12 addresses this. Everybody say the very first word in Psalm 12, verse 2. It says, Everyone. Now, is that some people or everybody? As everybody. The Bible says, everyone utters lies to his neighbor. Well, how so, psalmist? Here's how. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. You look so awesome today. You're the best dad in the world. Have you lost weight? That's the best sermon I've ever heard. Mm -hmm. Sure it is. In the last five minutes. And we just kind of lay it on, and what it really is, is insincere praise intended to manipulate. The intent of your heart in that moment is not really to encourage, it's to get something. You ever go to school with the teacher's pet? You know, you're the best teacher in the world, I'm going to sit right by you, I'm going to bring you an apple every day, and on and on and on. Any of you have siblings that sucked up to mom and dad just to get on their good side? The Bible calls that bearing false witness. Because your lips are saying something that's not really true in your heart. A second way we do this is we make false statements, particularly about other people. Uh, Maybe that's through gossip or slander. Uh, Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 says, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil. Watch this is, this is a very important word for the church. A false witness who breathes out lies and sows discord among brothers. Can, can I just, like, if you're taking notes, write this down right here. At Lakeville, everybody listen up. God hates gossip. He hates it. He despises it. It is an abomination to him. Why? Because it is bearing false witness against a neighbor, a brother, somebody that's that's in the small group uh, next door that you're just talking about and ripping apart. God can't stand it when you use damaging information to harm a reputation. It is bearing false witness. And it is so easy in our day to do this through social media and email and technology. Do you know how easy it is to just pull something out of context and make it be a narrative that isn't true? Ask me how I know. Because I speak for a living. And I've, I've had experiences where people would take something that was nowhere even close to what you said or what you meant, and they will create a false 
narrative. Do you remember the, do you remember the Jewish tale? Some of you have heard this. It's a Jewish tale about a woman in the city who was constantly gossiping. It was always, you're never going to believe this. And did you hear about her? And I'm sure it was probably in the form of a prayer request. You know, people that do that. Can we just pray for sister so-and-so as I rip her life apart? You know those? And she was doing this all the time, and it finally got to the ears of the rabbi, and the rabbi called her in and said, I want you to do something for me. Many of you have heard this. I want you to take a a pillow. I want you to cut it. I want you to scatter the feathers all throughout the community. She's like, well, that's a very strange request for a rabbi to make, but okay, I'll do it. And so that's what she does. You've heard this, right? She comes back to the rabbi, and, and the rabbi then says, what I want you to do now is I want you to go around the community and gather up all the feathers that you scattered. And she said, that's impossible. I would never be able to gather them all. And the rabbi looks at her and he says, so it is with your words. Don't bear false witness against your neighbor. Thirdly, a way that we can violate this, we make false promises. That is, we make commitments we really don't have any any intent to keep. Maybe that's to God, or maybe that's to other people. It's why James in James 5 verse 12 says this, but above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes, your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation, that is, so that you won't break the law, namely the ninth command. Obviously, one of the examples, Ananias and Sapphira, remember that in Acts, made a, a commitment and then held back and lied to God, was a false witness to God because they made promises they had no intention whatsoever of keeping. We can do this through false teaching that is presenting God in a way that's not a true witness of how He has revealed Himself. I'll give you this last one, even though there are so much more. Uh, I take this from A.W. Tozer, and it stings. He talks about false worship. In other words, Tozer would say that many of us have bore false witness this morning. Here's how. Here's what Tozer says, quote, Christians do not tell lies, they sing them. What Tozer means is you sing with your lips what isn't true of your life. I desire nothing but you, you declare. Ain't true. Your lips are saying something your heart doesn't back up. I mean, there, there's, I'm not trying to, do, again, I'm not trying to be pessimistic. I'm just trying to be realistic. The, the point that I'm making is the point that we all know, and here it is. The truth is everybody lies. Everybody bears false witness in some way. Everybody distorts reality, and that creates a real problem. If you've zoned out, zone back in right here, because the problem that creates is this. Everybody, are you listening? How are you going to stand before the God of truth on judgment day? In all of our false witnessing, How will we stand in the courtroom of God? Because human courts may at times prove unjust, but the courtroom of God is always just. Listen to what Psalm 9 says. Verse 7, the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established His throne of justice. He judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. 
I mean, the tension that we have to be thinking about, the, the issue we have to deal with is how will false witnesses stand before the God of truth? And boy, do I have good news for you. It's the best news in the world. It's how Jesus transforms the ninth commandment. Are you ready? You want some good news? You're going to have to put your seatbelt on because I'm going to go fast. I'm about to give you a whole lot of information. You're like, you always talk fast. Well, I'm about to go even faster. In fact, for those of you, how many of you like to take notes, Lakeville note takers? Stop it. All right, because you're not going to be able to keep up. You can go back online and watch it and get the information. I just want you, I want to take you quickly through a journey in the New Testament that shows you how Jesus transforms the ninth commandment and gives us the best news in the world. Are you ready? I mean, are you really ready? Are you really, really ready? All right, a half of you are. Here we go. When you come to the New Testament, first of all, what you need to understand is that Jesus is presented as the true witness. Jesus is described as the true witness, Revelation 1.5. And from Jesus Christ, talk to me, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and rulers of the king of earth. Uh, Revelation 3.14, to the angel of the church of Laodicea, write the words of the amen, which means true, the faithful and true witness. So right here, in a world of false witnesses, there is a true witness. There is a faithful witness, and it's Jesus. But he's not only the true witness. Listen, he bears witness to the truth. As the true witness, he speaks the truth. Uh, John 18, 37, hang with me. Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus said, uh, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I have, I, for this purpose I was born, and this purpose I have come into the world to do what? Bear witness to the truth. So Jesus is the true witness. He's the faithful witness. He bears witness to the truth. And what is that truth? That he is the truth. You know the verse, John 14, 6, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So everybody right here, he's the true witness that bears witness to the truth, and that truth is, he is the truth. Now, we would want to say at this point, you've made a pretty big claim. Do you have any witnesses to back that up? Do you have any witnesses to testify to the claims that you're making? And boy, do I have a group of witnesses for you. First, John 5, 32 through verse 33, there is another who bears witness about me. Hang with me. And I know the testimony he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Witness number one is John the Baptist. Well, Uh, You need more than one witness. Do you have anybody else? Well, yes, we do. Here's witness number two, John 5, verse 36. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, namely the miracles of Jesus, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. Witness number one, John the Baptist. Witness number two, the very miracles that Jesus performed, chief of which is the resurrection. You want more? 
Here's another witness. John 5, verse 37. The Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. You have John the Baptist, you've got the miracles of Jesus, and you have God the Father. Who wants another witness? I'm glad you asked. John 5, 39. Jesus says, you search the Scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life, but guess what? They, that is the Scriptures, bear witness about me. You've got John the Baptist. You've got his own miracles. You've got God the Father, and now you've got the Scripture. Who wants another witness? Well, I'll give you one. John 15, verse 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. We got John the Baptist. We got the miracles of Jesus. We got God the Father. We got the scriptures. We got the Holy Spirit. Who wants more? I'm glad you asked. John 15, 27. You, that is the disciples, will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Everybody take a deep breath. One, two, three. Talk about a group of witnesses. So let me put all that together, all right, as I'm going to get a little excited here. Put all that together. Here's what you've got. Jesus is the true witness who witnesses to the truth, namely that he is the truth, and the witnesses that he has to confirm that he's telling the truth is none other than himself, John the Baptist, his very own miracles, chief of which is the resurrection, God the Father, the Holy Scriptures, the Holy Spirit, and his disciples. Point, faith family, there is undeniable, indisputable, irrefutable evidence that Jesus Christ is the truth. Case closed, your honor. And you say, what does that have to do with the ninth commandment? Everything. Everything. Because if the question is this, how do I fulfill the ninth commandment? How do I live up to the ninth commandment? How, how do I have a life that doesn't bear false witness? This would be the gospel answer this is how Jesus transforms it. Here it is. You fulfill the ninth commandment, not with a life that always told the truth, but with a life that has been united with the truth. Your hope and my hope of obeying the ninth commandment is not that our life, when it's all said and done, will have bore no false witness at all. No, the only hope I have is be united with the true witness. That is the only shot I have to stand before the righteous throne of God. Let me say it this way to you, faith family, I love you, but if the true witness of Jesus does not testify on your behalf come judgment day. Your life of false witnessing will condemn you forever. But if Jesus is your witness, your true witness that testifies on your behalf because you put your faith in him, guess what? There will be no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is the only hope we have because we are false witnesses. We need the truth 
the whole truth and nothing but the truth, and his name is Jesus Christ. Without him, we have nothing but condemnation. It is why, by the way, how many of you are thankful for Jesus this morning? Amen. What would we do? What, what would we do without Jesus? I told you from the very beginning, these are t- all you need to know about the Ten Commandments is it's ten reasons you need to be really thankful for Jesus Christ. But in him there is hope, in him there is life. It's why the Bible says with Moses came the law. With Jesus came what? Grace and truth. So what do, what do we walk away from this message with? What are some things that, that we need to think about in terms of our life? And I'll, I'll just give them to you quickly. Every, everybody right here. The first and most important thing is this. Believe the truth. That is, put your faith in Christ. As I've just spent several minutes explaining, he's the only hope you have when you stand before the court of God. And if you're here today in Lakeville and our locations watching online, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, turn from the lies of your sin and put your faith in the truth, the person of Christ. Secondly, is it is right in light of the ninth commandment, to be aware of the false witnessing in our life. To look at the areas of honesty and specifically even our false witnessing about others. Gossip, slander, the way we twist the truth to bring others down and lift ourselves up. A fourth way would be, this is important because it it really fits the culture here at Berean, right here, be a faithful witness about your brokenness. When somebody says, how are you doing? You don't have, at Berean, you don't have to say, I'm fine when you're not fine. It is okay to not be okay here. And so you don't have to come in and give a false witness to how you really are. You can come in and be real. Fourth or fifthly is, I would encourage you to, all of us, if you're a Christian, be a faithful witness of the gospel. Isn't that a right application? Do you know the truth? Well, then proclaim him. Tell a world of lies where truth is found. That's evangelism 101. Declare the truth, the person of Jesus Christ. Share with your family, your neighbors, your friends, whatever, where truth is ultimately found. Be a faithful witness to the truth of God. And then lastly, and I'll close with this, is that believe, and this is where many of your struggles are at, I want you to believe the true witness of the gospel about your life, not the false witness of your enemy. Oh my goodness, I know some of you, and this is the battle that rages. Uh, Believe the true witness of the gospel in your life, not the false witness of your enemy. Here's what I mean, right here. The biggest lie that the father of lies is going to tell you is this, the truth is too good to be true. The truth of the gospel is too good to be true, and you'll go on like George O'Leary trying to exaggerate your resume to try to find acceptance. After all, how can the God of truth love a liar like me? Do you know how many times I've broken the ninth commandment? 
But I take you this morning to the gospel, and I remind you of this. Do you remember how it was that Jesus went to the cross? Look at it. Matthew 26, 59. Now the chief priest and the whole council, who, by the way, would have boasted in their ninth commandment obedience, were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death, and they did. Do, do you want to know the good news of the gospel? For those of us in this room that are struggling with how could the God of truth ever accept somebody who has borne false witness like me, here's the truth of the gospel. The true witness laid down his life through false witnesses for false witnesses. That, dear friends, is the truth. And that truth will set you free. And all God's witnesses said, Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thanks for your word to us this morning. Um, thank you for Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you for Jesus. He is the true witness. He bears witness to the truth, namely that he is the truth. And there is all the evidence you could possibly want to back that up. Which means this morning we must bow the knee. We must put our faith in the truth, the person of Jesus Christ. And so I'm asking if there's somebody here today and they have never done that, that they would turn right now from their lies and put their faith in the truth. Others in this room, they believe the false witness of the enemy instead of the true witness of the gospel. So many ways that you're speaking to us just from this commandment. So Holy Spirit, come and do your work. Come and draw us close, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you